On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Owen, in World Cups, you haven't been in Australia in 29 years. Is there, even on a subconscious level, a fear of them? No. Why? Because I've only played against them in two World Cups. 29 years doesn't mean I'm 32 years old. Thanks, mate. Nice. (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. That was the Cricket Unfiltered World Cup reporter, Sam Landsberger, giving it to the English skipper, Owen Morgan. Sam, you upset him. I was wondering. I was wondering how long would it take for you to stitch me up, and you've started three seconds in with it. Um, <laughs> Thanks, yeah, mate. Got a little bit of a little bit of run overnight. Um, yeah, I have to put my hand up though. My question was wrong. I meant to say twenty-seven years, not twenty-nine. So sorry for that, Owen. But I think outside of that, it was a fair question. That was so funny when he went. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Nice. Like he was nice. in. A, he was like in a pissed off mood the whole press conference it wasn't just you it, it kind of started when he was asked about kevin peterson's comments about morgan backing away from stark but yeah he was filthy very very prickly and to be fair he was in a very similar testing mood pre-game i think they're a, a little bit rattled that england oh Owen, you don't you don't Owen say said, Owen said that's a hot take game, <laughs> he said before the australia game it wasn't a must win and he said afterwards we're still fine. We're still fine. We're still on track. We only need to win one of the next two. It's all in our control. But they're the words, but all the body language suggests that they are shaken. And he was very, very testy. And um, they've got a lot of sore boys as well. My understanding is that Joffre Archer's. I've got actually a, a little bit of a note here. If you give us one second, Joffre Archer, tightness to his left side, Ben Stokes, cramps in his calves, Adil Rashid, his uh, shoulders playing up. And they're obviously without Jason Roy. So they are battered and they are rattled. And it's a massive game they've got now got against India. It's falling apart for the Poms. Well, listeners, I was so excited after hearing Sam speaking to Owen. But, of course, you're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel. I'm absolutely cock-a-hoop after Australia uh, thrashed the Poms at Lords yesterday in the World Cup and uh, qualified for the semi-finals. So we've got Sam on the phone from London. And then after this, I've got a feature interview with Australia A skipper, Travis Head. So let's just get back into this thrilling victory from the Aussies. Um, first team through to the semi-final. Sam, what was the atmosphere like at Lords as the Poms crumbled and they could see their World Cup dream ebbing away? Great place to start. It was eerily hush. It was quite It was quite bizarre. When England was batting, you, you could hear a pin drop. In fact, for one of the outfield catchers, um, that Australia took, you could quite audibly hear all the Australian players cheer and celebrate because there was no other sound in this famous old stadium. It, it, it was quite surreal. They couldn't believe their eyes. I don't think anyone could. I mean, Australia started this game underdogs 
and they finished it favourite for the whole tournament. It 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 was quite it was quite amazing. And uh, what were the crowd reaction to Smith and Warner? Was there a lot of booing? Predictable, yeah. I, I, it was pretty loud. Um, even at one stage, when Warner ran over. Uh, to the fence to, to field for a delivery. They got stuck into him. He gave them a little bit of a wry smile and turned around. Like It's not bothering them, but yeah, it, it was quite loud. And that was a nice temperature check for the Ashes, I think. I mean, 25 days potentially of test cricket. That's what they're going to receive every day. And it, it, the, the volume was turned up because the past three World Cup games, it had really waned off. Um, but it was back at uh, full voice. But it didn't matter. I mean, Warner made another really important half-century. Him and Aaron Finch had the most unbreakable combination in the World Cup. And then Steve Smith made some pretty important runs as well. So it's not bothering them in any way. Uh, it's just good theatre. Yeah, I agree with it, uh, Morgan. Just keep booing because it doesn't matter. It's not affecting the players. In fact, it's probably galvanising the Aussie team. And uh, Australia are building so nicely in this tournament while England are reeling after three losses. I, I mean, this is... Every English cricket fan's nightmare coming true. Three years of brilliance in 50-over cricket. Come the World Cup, it's Choke City. Three years of brilliance means bugger all right now. They're 4-3 in a World Cup. <laughs> and and the injuries are mounting. There are sore bodies. And, and there is literally the weight of the nation. They're, they're crumbling under. I mean, I, I go to the news agent every day and pick up every newspaper over here. And it's just... You know, there's splashed across the back pages of five of five of the editions today is Ben Stokes kicking his bat, saying England on the brink. I mean, how can you not feel the, uh, the the pressure when you're waking up every day to those headlines and those photos? It is quite amazing. The only the only world ranking of number one in Lords that counted yesterday was Ash Barty because she's actually in form and she deserves their ranking right now. England might be the the number one team in the world on rankings, but they're not playing anywhere like it. And um, they've got a game plan that doesn't stand up in pressure moments. And I think that's been the most satisfying part for for Justin Langer and to a lesser extent Aaron Finch. You know, they got smacked over their more conservative game style. But deep in a World Cup, it has stood up and England's hasn't. You are spot on. So a couple of moments from the game stood out for me that really sort of typify where this World Cup campaign is going for the Aussies. Uh, the Mitchell Stark Yorker to destroy oh. Ben Stokes' stumps. <laughs> Incredible delivery. And it's just... How many, times, how many times have you watched it? Plenty of times. And, you know, I was <laughs> just looking at Stark's figures. His strike rate in ODI cricket is a wicket every 25.4 balls. He's got 162 ODI wickets in only 82 games. I mean, to give you some comparison, McGrath's strike rate was a wicket every 34 balls. Stark is now the leading wicket taker in the world this World Cup with 19, following on from his 2015 World Cup. We are seeing brilliance out there at the moment and uh, fair play to that Pommy um, fan that wound up Mitchell Stark on the morning of the game. By have you know having a go, how many eggs he was eating? Well, uh, there was a lot of eggs on the English scoreboard. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, look, he was the fastest player in ODI history to 150 wickets in the first game of the tournament. I think, or maybe the second game against the West Indies. And he's got the best strike rate in ODI history. But the stat that stands out for me in World Cups is that 
He's already number eight on the all-time World Cup wicket-takers list. He's taken 41 wickets. But he's played the fewest games of the top 35 wicket-takers. So I just think that's amazing. I mean, that, that just shows you how good this bloke's strike rate is. He doesn't need many balls to do damage. And, yeah, four wickets against England. But that Ben Stokes ball is one we'll be talking about for a very long time. It's probably the best ball since... Brendan McCullum in the final four years ago, and that's there is next opponent. So nice bit of symmetry for Mitch, and yeah, nine wickets to the Australian left armers. Uh, I, I would, I think they wouldn't mind facing England again in a knockout game because it seems from like from a matchup point of view, like they've they've got a few wins over them. And the other moment from the the game that really sort of for me highlights the Langer method was Usman Khawaja's catch of Joss Butler. When Khawaja, who's not known for his athleticism, he swooped around the boundary and took that fantastic running catch from Butler. It was going for six. It was Not only was it a crucial wicket, but a, a great bit of athleticism. And uh, you must have loved it. It was a, sort of an AFL mark. <laughs> Thanks for the AFL plug. Well, that was the moment I spoke about before where you could really hear the Aussies. You could sit there in the stands and hear every one of them individually cheer because there was just a silence in this ground. And just on the fielding point, I think it's a really good point you made because when Australia went to England this time last year, Langer identified that the fielding was not up to scratch. He said they were were quite slow in comparison to England. And so... Through, through two methods, through selection and through training, they put a really concerted effort on building their, building their, their fielding back up to, to a world-class standard. And Kowajan probably epitomises that. I mean, 12, 24 months ago, he probably did struggle in the field a fair bit, but he's lost a little bit of weight. Um, he, he's become so much more skillful, both with his catching and you know with his stopping. And, you know, they, they can basically put him anywhere now. So I think... That does sum up how far they've come. I mean, there's not a bad fielder in this team, is there? No, not at all. And uh, you only have to look at that catch at the end where Maxwell and Finch combined to take a catch on the boundary. Just made it look easy. So our fielding was great. But let's go back to the beginning of the game. Some key decisions made by both sides. Owen Morgan, what was he doing sending Australia in after winning the toss? You would think that they'd had such trouble chasing a small target against Sri Lanka that they'd, they'd want to set a target. Yeah, uh, look, I think in England's defence, they didn't want to take a backward step. I mean, it would almost be conceding if they changed their game plan now. Whether whether they do now or not after another loss is a different question. But the stat that stands out for me is England's lost three out of their four run chases in the World Cup when the pressure is on. Leading into the World Cup, they won 20 in a row. So they've gone 20 in a row and then um, one out of four. So when the pressure is up, they have crumbled a little bit. And runs on the board in the World Cup has been a proven formula. I think there's a stat out there. There's something like 21 teams have, have won the toss and elected to, to bowl first. And only eight of them have won the game. So um, it just shows you in these pressure moments, you, you take the runs every every time. And given how hard it has been to take early wickets against Australia, uh, you know that they're always going to make at least a competitive score. They were probably 30 or 40 runs short given the start they, they got, but mind you, they still had plenty in the bank. Yeah, the normally cool Owen Morgan is feeling the heat. So Australia picked Nathan Lyon over Adam Zampa. Lyon returned none for 43 off nine overs. I wonder if Lyon will continue in the team. It's a really good question. Um, I think he's a, a really good chance to play in the Manchester game against South Africa. I had a look at some stats before, and 
Old Trafford turns more than any other deck. In fact, if Australia is ever going to play Line and Zampa together, it will most likely be there. Um, this Saturday, Lords against New Zealand, um, it'll be a year's wicket. I'm not too sure which way they'll go. He was pretty tidy, Line, um, and he was also tidy against England in the warm-up game in Southampton. There's no doubt there's a good matchup with him to Moeen Ali. I know he didn't get him in this game, but I think he got, got him, what, seven times in a recent Ashes series. So there are a few good matchups there for, for Nathan Lyon. That said, the reports on Adam Zampa against Bangladesh was that Australia was pretty happy with the way he bowled, even though he got one for 60-odd. A little bit unlucky, really hard bowling deck there at Trent Bridge. So I would discount Adam Zampa just yet, but Lyon was, was tidy enough. Yeah, you would sort of think that Zampa's more your wicket-taking spin bowler and Lyon's more the guy who you want to really put the clamps on in the middle overs and maybe get the odd wicket. Um, but, but look, Lyon is very effective in short-form cricket at domestic level in the big bash 50-over cricket. So there's no reason he can't do it on the in the World Cup. Oh, just on that, I, I think that's a really good point. And, and this England game, the way it panned it, it was a perfect situation for Lyon. I mean... The quicks did the damage up front. There were three wickets in the first six overs. So when Lyon came on after the power play, he could put the clamps down, just tie down one end and keep building the pressure because that rate was going up and up and they were already into the middle order. So that that, that did really suit him on uh, at Lords. But, I mean, if England had wickets in the bank and they could go after him, that's when it might get a little bit, a little bit uh, questionable for him. Now, what an inspired selection to bring the left-arm swing bowler, Jason Berendorf, into the side. He took five for 44. Incredible performance. It rattled James Vince's stumps in just the second ball of the innings. It was a great bowling spell by Berendorf. Great selection. And what it does do is it pushes Pat Cummins to first change, which means sides can't just sit on the opening bowlers and then take on your first change. It's it's made it a lot more challenging for opposition sides. Yeah, it spreads the quality throughout the attack. There's no doubt about that. Listen, Cummins is probably slightly less effective first change than with with the new ball, but Berendorf jumps up so much higher when he does take that that very first over or that very second over. So um, on balance, it, it is a win for the team. And this is a tick at both levels. I mean, Jason Berendorf had been earmarked for this game for, for quite some time. I think he got Bearstow and Vince out in the warm-up game a month ago. They looked at that. They looked at the matchup from having a second left end, excuse me, a second left armour in. So this he was always going to play in this game. And it worked. And then to give him the new ball, that was simply Aaron Finch's call. So when Berenoff made his World Cup debut a couple of weeks ago, he was first change. They did stick with, with Cummins and Stark. But Finch said, no, no, if you're playing this game, you take the new rock. And so a tick from the selectors and then a tick from Aaron Finch to, to best utilise him. And he set the tone, didn't he? I mean, that, that ball to, to Finch was an absolute peach. And, it, and then to mop up the tail probably carries a little bit more weight because this England tail is stacked with first-class centuries. So they weren't easy wickets either. So to walk away with Pfeiffer, um, amazing day for, for the Dorf. Yeah, great stuff from Berendorf. Uh, and also uh, we should take note of just how good 
Warner and Finch have been in this World Cup. They really are laying a platform for Australia to win these games. Finch and Warner, 123-run opening partnership. Uh, Warner, 53 off 61. He's now got 500 runs at 83 in the tournament. Finch, 100 off 116 balls. He's 15th ODI ton, second at this World Cup. Now the fourth ton between the two of them. And uh, he's got 496 runs. So between them, they've almost scored 1,000 runs. And it's just the perfect launching pad pad for the whole campaign. Yeah, they've built more platforms than A.B. Jennings, I think I wrote. It's, uh, it, it's been a, just an unbreakable start. They're averaging 91.7 runs together. And before that, uh, in the in the lead-up games, Finch and Kawaja was were averaging 91.8 runs. So Warner's just taken over that role beautifully. The game plan hasn't had to to change too much. They're still getting these golden starts. And oh, it, it, it really is a, a mix. I know Steve Smith said this early on that one day, one day cricket is so much a blend of test match batting and T20 batting. And they're doing it beautifully. Wokes and, and Joffre Archer bowled some really nice deliveries up front uh, at Lords, but they, they just they, they just got through it. And they just got through that really tricky period. And then they're able to slowly put the foot down. The way Warner has accelerated through innings throughout the World Cup has been really mature. It's unlike what he used to do. Um, he used to come out and try and put them over the fence from ball one. But he sliced off a little bit of strike rate, but really built that average up. So um, it's just that been a real mature way to go about it. And I think, again, this is the biggest tick to Australia's game plan. They put on about 400 more runs than any other opening partnership. So it, it, it's the perfect platform for 50-over cricket. It's a... Yeah, it's a tick to Finch and Warner and also to Langer. There's no other way to describe it. Yes, I agree. And uh, I just want to knock this on the head. No no talk about Finch playing in the Ashes, opening the batting. I just don't want to hear it. People have been <laughs> you know, putting it out on Twitter. He's our one-day captain. He's doing great. But there's about 15 test batsmen ahead of him. Now, um, maybe not 15. Can I, can I ask you, is it Marcus Harrison, David Warner? Is that your opening pair? Uh, so, yeah, at this stage, I've got Harrison Warner. But, um, you know, that's because Joe Burns has had to come home with some illness. So if the test were played this week, I'd have Harris and Warner. But if Burns can get up for it, I think Burns deserves first crack at it. He's just too many test centuries in the bank to be ignored. Harris has um, got a lot of potential, but he hasn't yet made the three figures at test level. So, uh, yeah, if, if Burns is fit, I'm giving... Um, uh, him the, the first shot at it. Sorry to uh, sorry to throw a curveball at you. <laughs> no, no, I've been thinking about this a lot actually, and I've got Matt Wade at six and Travis Head at five, um, Steve Smith at four, and Usman Khawaja at three. Do you like it? Without giving it too much analysis, yeah, I think that sounds pretty pretty straightforward. I'm more I'm more interested in the uh, in the pace battery to be honest. I mean, there's five All Star weeks. Who gets a game? <laughs> We've gone very very on a tangent here. Anyway, b- back to the World Cup. Back to the World <laughs> Cup. So Kawaja, 23 off 29. Smith, 38 off 34. Uh, Marcus Stoinis was run out for 8 off 15. Just a terrible mix-up with Steve Smith. There's been yeah. a couple of shocking run-outs in the last two games, Maxwell and Stoinis. And both the run-outs have probably cost Australia a little bit of acceleration in the back end. Yeah, Australia's had six run-outs in the World Cup. That's double any other team. To I- crisis. I feel a little bit... I feel a little bit for Marcus Doinus. I, I, I think my understanding is he's still a little bit sore. I think he's going to get better and better with every game, and he's going to enjoy the long breaks, particularly the one between the New Zealand game and the South Africa game. I think he's got a full week then, and 
He'll be back at full fitness by the time Australia faces South Africa. But, uh, yeah, he, he does look a little bit sore right now. And there's no doubt they left a few runs out there. But mind you, how how good is Alex Carey playing? I mean, he's gone under the radar this World Cup. He's played some really important innings. He played a great finishing role against India and I think in another game as well. But then also a real mature knock against the West Indies where he came in at five for about 79 and was three off 26 before accelerating and just getting through some, some tough bowling. So I think he's been a real shining light and, Thank goodness he he was there at the death overs against England because when that run out happened and then Smith fell and Maxwell fell, and Australia could have lost their way, and they did a little bit, but but Kerry was able just to, to keep on pushing on, and um, his striking in the very last over was quite impressive. Yeah, corporate Kerry, thirty eight not out off twenty seven, superb stuff. So we spoke about Berendorf's ball to Vince, but Mitchell Stark bowled an absolute jaffer of an in-swinger to get Joe Root, and uh, that that was just great yeah. ball and sends a message not only for the World Cup but for the Ashes. Mm, oh, look, it's not often these days that you see an LBW decision that, and the batsman doesn't even think about appealing, but that was that plum. Root just got straight off the ground that, again, and... To, to, to get him in the third over, Australia highlighted that they wanted an early wicket because Joe Root is almost invincible against spin. They didn't want him facing Nathan Lyon or Adam Zampa, whoever whoever was going to play. So to get Root in, in the first over and then to get him out in the, in the fourth over, it was just the perfect start. And as you said, that was the perfect delivery. And uh, what about after the game? What were the messages coming out of the Aussie camp? But We know you've upset the English camp, but what about the Aussie camp? Well, this was the other interesting part. I mean, Jason Berendorf, you know, gave great insight the fact that, you know, he thought, or they thought that um, English maybe bowled a little bit too short uh, with the new ball. Morgan bristled at that suggestion as well. Did he now? That's what Morgan's response was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. I couldn't believe that for Morgan. I mean, it wasn't an insult from Jason Berendorf. He just said that we did our homework at halftime and, you know, quite clearly, Finch and Warner scored a lot of their runs in, you know, pulling hook shots in boundaries from balls that were pitched, you know, halfway up the crease. So they targeted the stumps and it worked. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a malicious swipe at Joffrey Archer and Chris Wokes. It was just Australia doing their homework. And I think that summed up the England camp's mood. Very prickly, very testy. And for Owen Morgan to, to snap at that just showed you, you know, that he, yeah, he's probably not in the, uh, the most comfortable frame frame of mind right now and uh what do the australians have to sort of do now in their last two games you know they've qualified so easily do you think they'll mess around with the lineup will they give stoyness a bit of a rest uh, what do you think the plan will be i asked justin langer about that before the england game and he said oh, the pressure certainly isn't off you know ask me next game so i i wouldn't rule out that they'll they'll think about experimenting with a few things but that said it is a world cup and you don't want to flirt with your form, particularly when you're going so well. So uh, with long breaks between the games, there's no real urgency um, to, to, to give the players a little bit of a rest, but they can sort of just sit back and put the feet up and have a look at England, you know, try and scramble to make it, see if Pakistan can make it, make a bit of a surge and, and see where they're, where they're going to finish up. Um, obviously, one, one semi-finals at Manchester, the others at Birmingham. Manchester spins a little bit more. So it'd be interesting to see where they land. I, I think you'd, you'd want to face New Zealand if you had the first choice of your teams, but 
the way they're going, they, they'd be pretty confident against anyone. I mean, they've just beat in England. India's a little bit underdone. Shikhar Darwin obviously won't be there. He made a century against them in the Oval in India's first game. So I think no matter who they play, they're going to go in with a with a very high level of confidence. Yeah, it'd be nice if Australia could play at Birmingham in the semi-final in a, like a 20-year reunion from the 99 semi-final <laughs> there. Okay, so Australia have got New Zealand and South Africa Good, good for the Aussies to remain in form. But look, now with England just tanking like this and uh, having a massive <laughs> form slide, it does open up the ladder. You've probably got Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Pakistan as the, the three teams that could sneak into the semifinals. It would all, I mean, I guess India's vulnerable if they lose their last four games. But which team do you think has the best chance of sneaking in? Uh, I haven't done all the mathematical permutation. For my understanding, would be that it would be Pakistan. I know they've got New Zealand very, very shortly, so that's clearly what it's going to ride on. But after that, they've got Bangladesh and Afghanistan. They would probably fancy themselves in those games. They're playing good cricket. Um, they should have taken a few more catches against South Africa, but they still got out of jail because they, 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 they did bowl so well. Mohamed Amir is in amazing form they've got so much so much power in their top three so i think pakistan is the most likely if they can get the job done against new zealand well i agree i think pakistan are pretty likely I also think bangladesh uh, if they play pakistan on that last day and it's a, a shootout for the semi-final spot i could see the How bang- good would that be? oh it'd be so good and i could see the bangers doing it they've been so compo- composed throughout this world cup I just think they've got a really good game plan. Tell you what, if there's one player that, that deserves to play in a World Cup semi-final, it's probably Shakib. I mean, he's been by far and away the, the player of the tournament, probably been a little bit off-Broadway playing for Bangladesh, but yeah, how good would it be to see him uh, in, a, in a World Cup semi-final, given how far he's taken his country in the past three weeks, both with bat and ball? I mean, if he doesn't get you with the with the bat, he will with the ball. Yeah, it's it's been an incredible story from Shakib Al Hassan. So, uh, Sammy, I guess on that positive note, we should leave our little chat. Uh, you know, just go and puff your chest out and walk around London with the spring in your step. Now that Australia's in the semi-finals, uh, all the doom and gloom has lifted from Australian cricket, and uh, it's all shifted across to the English. I will, and I'll, can I leave you with one more stat as we go? Sure. At Lords, where the final is, Australia's won 12 and lost two games since, I think, 1985. And they even a very adept at test cricket there. They've only lost two Ashes tests since 1934. England, since the last World Cup, has lost 40% of one day at Lords. So if Australia and England get through to the finals, whose home ground advantage is it really? It's ours. Sammy, great <laughs> stat. Uh, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Pleasure. Thank you, Manners. That was Sam Landsberger from News Corp, and you can keep up with all his News Corp reporting at thedailytelegraph.com.au. All right, coming up in a moment, we have a feature interview with Australia A captain and test player Travis Head. But before that, I just want to remind you, if you want to find me or the podcast on social media, it's a great thing to do at the moment with the World Cup on. There's a lot of uh, good banter and stuff coming out. So uh, you can find me at Amenas, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Oz Cricket Pod, A-U-S Cricket Pod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have a moment, do me a favor. 
go on and rate and review this podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. I really love it when the listeners do that. It gives me a little bit of a boost. So if you can do that for me, it'd be much appreciated. All right, coming up after the break, Travis Head. On the drive, gets the full toss. The magical moment arrives with the boundary. Travis Head, he's made in 100 for Australia. That was Travis Head bringing up his maiden test century last summer at Marnica Oval. Mel Jones in the commentary box. And uh, joining me on the phone now, I have Australia A ODI skipper and incumbent test player Travis Head. He started the tour of England very well uh, with scores of 29 and 68. So it's two wins for Australia A. And uh, joining me now is Travis Head. Travis, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the podcast. I had you on just over a year ago, and since then you've uh, had a phenomenal start to your test career, averaging 50. You must be pretty happy when you look at the stats. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're pretty flattering at the end. Uh, yeah, it's been nice to start well. and um, hopefully that can continue. I think I've done a lot of hard work over the last 18 months, so it was nice to get some reward throughout the summer. Yeah, continue to get better and hopefully and can keep that up there and can keep performing throughout the summer and, and, and over here in the UK. What's it like being leading the Australian A side so far? It's been fantastic. I think we've got um, a really, really settled team. I think we've got a really strong Australian A team. I don't think we've seen that with all guys performing for a while now, so it's good to get a full-strength side and bikes are flying. So we've played two really, really good games, two really good hit-outs. We've played really strong cricket and it's been really, uh, really good to be back playing with the boys. Yeah, I bet. And uh, what did you make of the Australian team's performance against England at Lords yesterday? Yeah, very good. I think we got called off here and we were still with a, with a bit of rain. So we, um, as a team, watched them. And um, yeah, the boys played fantastic. And obviously, Pinchy was unreal in the start that we had with the ball. I think with Dorfin and Starkey, I think really, I guess, set the tone. And um, the boys were fantastic. Um, it was really, really good to watch. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it's fantastic to beat one of the teams that's in contention for it, I guess. It gives you a lot of momentum now going into the finals and then hopefully the boys continue this so that they can start that they're playing. Yeah, it must be um, quite interesting for you having been part of the ODI side, side for a lot of the last year, seeing the way the team's really come together and um, gone on a, a, a massive uh, form surge. Yeah, you've got guys in the form that are playing really, really well, so um, the VRP side together, they can, can continue that momentum, I think. The last probably six months of focusing really, really good one-day career. So it's, it's disappointing you watching on TV, not being a part of it. Yeah, it's amazing to see the guys play as well as it has. And hopefully that continues. Hopefully they can actually win the World Cup. And um, yeah, it's been fantastic to watch. And it's been great to see that yeah, the things that they've put in place are working and, and, the, and the consistency that they're doing at, that, at a high level. So it's been really, really good to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you right now that the England defeat has gone down very well in Australia. Um, so last time we spoke on the podcast, you were an Australian ODI player. Now you've changed from an ODI player to test vice captain, as I said, with an average of over 50. It's been quite a phenomenal change. I guess with the one-day stuff, do you know why you sort of fell out of favour in the one-day side? Because you, I was looking at your scores. You scored three fifties in a row. You had three failures, and then you were dropped. Yeah, well, that, I think that's the... I guess with the, with the, I played a lot of four-day career over my career, so... I guess that shift, I think I started to come before I created only one day career. I think my first real opportunity in the Australian career team was obviously one day career and white ball career. So um, I'm not 
I'd love to be in all three, but um, I've played a lot of four-day cricket now, so it's nice to obviously get the opportunity in test cricket. And at the minute, I'm not in the one-day team, and I wasn't able to perform, as you said. There was a bit of a gap between the 50s and the three failures, and um, unfortunately, you've got to continue to perform and continue to score. Um, and in games cricket for Australia, I wasn't able to do that in the South African series, and which then gave my spot up, and the guys that took my spot performed really, really well. So, yeah, I, I've had the consistent messages from the top of what I need to do, what I need to work on, and, um, I've been doing that. I think I've played really well so far here in, uh, in the UK in my back career. And I know that I can do a job for Australia if my opportunity arises. So, yeah, it's obviously it's tough. There's a lot of guys playing for spots and you've got to be performing all the time and um, scoring all the time to be in the team and uh, I'll be able to do that. Yeah, what, what was the area that you were told they want you to work on for your 50 over cricket? Um, oh, it, was, it was more for all around that. I think a bit of spin stuff to work on spin, which I was able to play really, really well throughout the summer in test cricket, which I was um, really pleased about because it was something in my game I needed to just get better at a little bit um, here and there. And, yeah, just making sure when I get... Obviously, it's hard to, to practice, but when I'm getting in, getting big scores and... As you said, with the 350s in the UK last year, I um, wasn't able to convert one into a big score and, and, and a match-winning score. So it's very hard to practice that. You can't practice that in the You've got to make sure when you're, when you're out there, you, you're trying your best to be as consistent as you can and, um, to get big scores and, and then go through a process. And um, I'm working through that. And yeah, that, that started really well here. And especially when it's been, I think, in the last six to 12 months, obviously, Dubai and and, and the spin that we faced during the summer and then once we've got here the wickets have spun a little bit here since we've played in the UK so um, yeah continuing to work on that and hopefully when I get my opportunity again if I get my opportunity again I've got that, all the boxes ticked and, and I can go out and play and, and be a better player Yeah the good thing is you've got young enough that you can uh, earmark the next World Cup perhaps as something to aim for Absolutely yeah Yeah so last time I um, spoke to you on the podcast I, I did and we spoke about leadership and your sort of integration into captaincy at a young age. And um, I thought after I spoke to you that you were pretty well-equipped mentally for test cricket. So when you were thrown into the test cauldron, did you feel ready? Yeah, I think I felt as much ready as I probably have in my career. I think um, I've been, been spoken about maybe getting an opportunity a few years ago and if I got runs and I would um, potentially be um, a chance to play and I didn't, didn't perform and didn't play well and probably thought about it a lot I think in this last 12 months I haven't really thought about it a lot I, I probably put test cricket um, in the back burner a little bit and thought well it doesn't happen right now I was in Worcester and then I ate her and I was really really hard and putting a lot of effort into doing really really well and, um, I always knew that at the back end of the season I was going to probably have a bit of a rest and, 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 and chill out which is what I've done in the last two months um, and then all of a sudden I was straight into the line and, and playing test cricket. So it happened very, very quickly out of Worcester and, 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 and an A2 in India. So um, I think I was probably batting, I have been batting probably the best day in my career. So I was able just to go out and, and be really relaxed and, and perform. I, I just really, really enjoyed the challenges of playing test cricket, I guess. And once I'd done the work and, and, and playing, I just went out and really, really enjoyed it. And, it wasn't too many. There was obviously little nerves here and there, but um, throughout I was pretty calm and collected throughout the lot, uh, throughout the summer. And, um, just really embraced it for what it was and, and just loved it and just really enjoyed it because I don't know, you never know how many you got to play, I guess. And, and fortunately enough, that, that allowed me to go out and execute my skill and be really relaxed and calm and, and perform. Yeah, that's interesting that you felt ready. Uh, 
when you played in the Dubai Test, you, you know, played a match saving 72 off 175 deliveries in your first test. But they were in such foreign conditions in Dubai. How much did playing there sort of challenge your skills? Um, yeah, definitely. Obviously, like I spoke about, about the spin stuff, I think um, it's probably the one part of my game of my career that has probably been questioned. I've had to work really hard on it and I'm not defence against spin. And I guess I took a different approach to it. And, and I probably in the past tried to dominate it and try to attack it and try to score heavily off spin and, and, and got myself in trouble with being pretty too aggressive. And I went down that approach. And I guess in Dubai, you've got to be like that. You've got to have a strong full defence. And it definitely helped Dubai being there for a few weeks before. We played too much up. I did really well in. We, on a, on a, on a tough wicket, and we trained there for a few weeks. So um, I definitely acclimatised to it and then got a really good pattern and really good living with my batting. So I guess that was the platform, I guess, getting into that little space and getting that consistent, I guess, pattern with my batting and getting that consistency about it throughout that, those first few weeks and during the test series that really just made the platform for the summer. I, I think I didn't really change from that. You know, I just kept going. We play so much credit now. I'm into that. I guess I get into that rhythm and just yeah, and uh, culminated with your maiden test century versus Sri Lanka at Manica Oval. Uh, you know, it must have been such a magic moment for you to bring up three figures with the baggy green on. Oh, yeah, it was an amazing day, I think. Um, it was probably the ball pressure I felt like someone went on. I was having a lot of starts, and um, I got myself in a position to get a hundred in. It's something I guess, in my four-day four career for South Australia. First class school, I probably haven't converted as many hundreds in all my life. So um, to have a few 50s, maybe about 100 throughout the summer, I was really, yeah, I guess I was desperate to get 100 and then desperate to get a big score and, and, and I guess up that trend and, and then starting the test career really, really well and um, making sure that I can go get big scores and show that I can do that. So I guess to do it in the last much of the summer. I know we'd like to do it a bit early, but I guess to get the first one out of the way um, and then play really well and, and contribute to a, to an Australian win was um, yeah, it was a pretty special day. It was you know, a very special week. So yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I bet you did. And I guess with you know Steve Smith and Warner coming back into the side, a bit like you spoke about the one day stuff, you want to make those starts, the big scores, isn't it? Because then it makes it harder for you to get dropped. Yeah, and also yeah, and I think not too worried about obviously my spot in the side at, at, at this stage. I just want to make sure that the big scores win games of cricket, and that's my job. I think as a batting, batting group and, and especially batting in the team that you want to be making big scores. You want to be worried about winning games of cricket for Australia, and that's what I'm there to do. That's what I'm really there to perform. The bowlers are there to win games of cricket and take wickets, and we're there to make runs and, and try and put us in the position. So, um, yeah, that's my job, and I know that, and I'm able to do that in that test match, and hopefully I can continue to do that, and if I get opportunities too making sure that I take them and, and, and really drive home and, and put us in a really strong position. So I guess then have you started to think about what it could be like playing in an Ashes series in England? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. You do take yourself there and obviously watching yesterday, put it straight in the front of your mind, I guess, or like up this morning, and I guess you, you feel like that we've got one up already on them and that one's a really, really good start. And we talk about that in the one day when I've been in the one day team or when I've been in the test team and about when you play guys in different series and you, you've got games coming up and um, it's, all, it's always a great opportunity to start the momentum or, or start putting it in the mind and I guess it's a great start from the boys they've obviously they, they helped us help the test team out a little bit there by winning and putting it in their mind and knowing that they're, where they're here, here to play I guess and um, it's great to see the guys start the momentum and the first day we played in the summer get the win and knock them off and then um, 
yeah, I was switching at Lords and you, you take your mind there. It's, you, I can't wait to, to go on the lane and get started. There's so a little bit of cricket here for me to go and I'm going to make stay in the moment. I guess I'll stay where I am, stay settled and, and keep performing and making sure that I'm contributing when it comes to that time. Yeah, there is an intense battle for spots now in the Ashes squad. Does it... Do you sort of feel that pressure around the group? Uh, no, definitely not. I think oh, that's one thing that Hickey, uh, Graham Hicks, um, being really good at. I mean, it was the same in India when we were in the A tour last year, just before Dubai as well, when there's, there's a lot of talk about spots. And we just talk about making sure right here we control what we can control, make sure we're winning games of cricket. And when we win games of cricket, guys will perform. And I think the group of guys we've got here, we're really enjoying each other's company. We're, we're loving playing together. Um, there's been some fantastic performances also by Wadey to start the tour and and, and a few of the bowlers so yeah definitely there's, there's spots up for grubs but I think no one's too worried about that either we're worried about playing good cricket and, and winning games and then personal performance and then the reflection will come from that for guys that are informed but um, Barbie Pritch been fantastic together obviously with um, I guess high pressure of spots and then whatnot. Uh, hasn't really been spoken about. It's very uh, unique having this summer in England with the World Cup and the Ashes, and you know it almost feels like the Ashes tour is sort of slowly getting underway now with this Aussie tour with so many players getting acclimat- acclimatized. It's actually a great move by Cricket Australia, I think. Yeah, it is fantastic. It's great. Yeah. I enjoy playing cricket over here. So for most of the guys, they probably would have probably played county cricket anyway. So to have everyone as a team over as an Australian outfit over here is great. Um, I guess obviously we've got, this, we've got a couple of four-day games leading in and then we've got the Australia, the Australia, which everyone's can't wait to play and then they can't wait to uh, experience the pressure of that. That's going to be an amazing week leading into to what's going to be an exciting five test matches. So um, I think the prep will be... 100% I think um, I think they've done a really, really right on the way they've done it. And, um, it's really exciting that we know that we've got everything that we can in our power to make sure that we come to the first test that everyone's fine and they do that. Yeah, that Aussie v Australia game is going to be a, a showdown for Ashes spots. Yeah, and pretty high pressure. I think you talk about, um, I guess, test match cricket. I think um, fighting against both that you play with and against and, um, the best of, I guess, Australian cricket. In two teams playing against each other is going to be as, if not high pressure as it is. So, yeah, everyone knows each other's weaknesses, I guess, and everyone's trying to get so much trigger against each other and knows each other and trains with each other so much. So it's going to make for an uh, exciting contest. I think it'll be quite extremely hard. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the pressure of that, I guess, to um, go out and play against the blokes that you spend every day with. It. It's going to be quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's going to be funny. Um, all right, last couple. Matty Wade, you mentioned him before. There's been a lot of buzz here about his form surge. It's just been an incredible year for him. As his captain on this tour, what's it like sort of being up close to him and how well is he hitting them? Yeah, I think he's hitting as well as everyone I've ever seen, probably. He, um, yeah, he's a man of form and he's making it out with him. Um, it's nice to have a good team and not playing against, but sure, because he's playing against him, he's scratching a little bit because he, yeah, he's just hitting, he's playing out of his skin. So it's nice to have him in the team and he's got off to some fantastic starts and um, yeah, comfortably on his games off his own bat. So just let him go about his business. I think everyone's just going about him and letting him go about what he's doing at the minute. He's very sound, very, very clear in what he's doing. Yeah, he's continuing it. It's obviously two games now, but I can see that probably happening for the rest of the tour. And 
um, the way he's playing. Yeah, I guess just the clearness that he's got and the composure that he's got, the crease, and then he's just something that I guess a lot of the guys probably take him out of. And just how relaxed he is and, and backing the skill. Um, he's not changing too much, he's not overcomplicating, or he's getting very simple. And it's working out, has been for the last 12 to 18 months. He's had a fantastic little run and he just kept it going. So um, it's great to see and great to watch. He's taking apart those English attacks. And uh, what about James Pattinson? Uh, how's he coming along? How, how's he bowling? Is he bowling quick? Um, what, how's he looking? Haven't seen him. Um, we've seen him. He's, he's here. Um, we haven't, he hasn't played yet. And I haven't seen him bowl because we haven't um, trained a great deal over the last few days. Obviously, with rain and, and, and a couple of back-to-back games, we've had a bit of rest. So um, I think he, he's been going really, really well. Not so he got six for a couple of last week. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him and, and, and Josh and Hazel bowl together in, in a couple of days' time. I think I'll play next. I think Pato might play next couple and um, saving Josh. So I'm um, really looking forward to them both getting out there and playing. And I think he brings so much. He brings so much to the team around the group. And yeah, he's a fantastic character and he's great to that too. He plays extremely hard, as we've seen. And he, he's that expected that you want. So looking forward to, to Pato getting out there and, and it's a pretty uh, tasty net session if you go in there and you're facing Pattinson and Hazelwood. Yeah, you try and stay well clear of them too. I've been in Brisbane before he came. Hoff was probably bowling the best he's ever bowled. Um, I've seen him bowling a long time. He was fresh and ready to go. Yeah, didn't didn't, didn't help as well. I hadn't, hadn't batted outdoors for, for a little bit. I didn't think about there and go straight into him with hard work. So, um, yeah, it's nice when we play back-to-back games over here, but that's training sessions, so you don't have to face the boys, um, which, is, which is probably the bonus. Yeah, get you ready for Broad and Anderson. Um, well, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Best of luck over there with the Oz A side and then hopefully in the Ashes squad. And uh, last time we spoke, you said you were a keen golfer, so have you had a chance to get out on those English tracks and have a hit? Definitely have been a golf along the guys who brought the sticks over from the golf so... Yeah, within in the middle of games and rain and whatnot, we've had an opportunity to get out to a few places. We're starting on a few golf courses, so the boys have uh, yeah, definitely made it the time in golf and the week on it. So, um, yeah, it's a nice little getaway um, from cricket at the minute, which is pretty good fun. Great one. Well, thanks for your time, Travis. Enjoy and uh, catch up soon. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much to Travis Head for taking some time to come on the podcast. And that's it for this edition of the podcast. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. You can keep up with all the action at the World Cup at dailytelegraph.com.au. So head there for all the World Cup news, and I'll be back soon with another podcast. 